G'day folks, welcome to episode 114 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week we're going to revisit a topic that I talked about back in last week's episode, which is this uh, incident from the University of Minnesota and some potentially malicious commits that got into the Linux kernel. There's been a response from that from the Linux Technical Advisory Board, so we want to have a bit of a coverage of that. Uh, plus, we'll do the usual roundup of vulnerability fixes from the past week, so let's just dive straight into that. Up first, we had an update for the GStreamer Good Plugins uh, package. Uh, this is for two different CVEs that are in all of our currently supported releases. So that's 16.04 long-term support, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support as well, and the Groovy Gorilla 20.10. Uh, in this case, it was uh, two different vulnerabilities, as I say, a user after free and a possible heap corruption that could happen when handling crafted Matroska files. So if you are downloading untrusted videos from the internet and using GStreamer, which is uh, used as the back end for things like uh, GNOME videos or what used to be called Totem, uh, you are now a little bit safer while playing those. Uh, next up, we had an update for Bind, uh, the popular DNS server. Uh, three different CVEs were addressed in this, again, going all the way back to 16.04 long-term support uh, and all the uh, releases between then and now. Uh, in this case, there were two different possible crasher bugs, uh, both of these that could hit um, some different assertion conditions and trigger those uh, to erroneously hit, and then you know, the, uh, Bind would abort. Uh, so you'd denial of service as a result from that, uh, plus one possible buffer overread uh, on 64-bit platforms, which could actually be used as a buffer overflow on 32-bit uh, platforms. Uh, so that could result in then possible uh, remote code execution on those 32-bit platforms if you are using bind on uh, one of those older CPUs or perhaps on a uh, you know an ARM hard float or something like that uh, platform 32-bit. So yeah, that has been fixed as well for bind. Uh, after that was an update for Samba, again going back to 16.04 long-term support and the releases in between. A single CVE here, uh, this was uh, where Samba failed to properly handle negative ID map cache entries. Uh, what could happen then is uh, the group entries that it would have on the server would potentially end up with invalid values in them and you could even get things like a zero group added to that which essentially gives you know, the user uh, admin privileges so essentially they could end up having uh, additional access and the ability to modify files and the like that they should not have on the Samba server uh, so that has been fixed as well uh, otherwise that could also just result in a crash uh, because it was uh, memory corruption that was actually causing that. Uh, that was also fixed for our 14.04 extended security maintenance release, uh, as well as three CVEs I covered back in episode 95. So if you want to know more about that, uh, go listen back to that one. After that was an update for the Linux kernel. This was actually a live patch. Again, this uh, applies all the way back to 14.04 extended security maintenance, plus the long-term support releases uh, in between from that. Uh, two different CVEs were covered by this by the kernel live patch team. Uh, both of these were local user privilege escalation vulnerabilities. One of them was uh, a BPF just-in-time uh, branch displacement uh, compilation issue that I talked about back in episode 112. And the other one was an interaction between OverlayFS file system and file system capabilities that could again allow a local user to essentially get root privileges if they were able to use OverlayFS within, say, a user namespace, which uh, they are able to do on Ubuntu systems and Debian nowadays and things like that uh, with the addition of unprivileged user namespaces. 
All right, uh, moving on, we had an update as well for Clam AV. Uh, We did issue an update for Clam AV uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, this was back in April. Uh, I was actually on leave then, so that's why uh, this wasn't covered in a previous podcast episode. But yeah, previous update for Clam AV unfortunately introduced a regression. If you were using uh, Clam D scan with both the multi scan and FD pass parameters, and you had set an exclude path configuration uh, value in your configuration for uh, Clam AV. So that could then result in it crashing essentially when it went to scan uh, those files. So we backported uh, a commit that is in the upstream development branch to fix that. Uh, after that was another update for Django. Uh, gee, we seem to get one of these every few months lately, but in this case it was a directory traversal via uh, uploaded files with crafted file names. So again, that goes all the way, well, that goes back to the 1804 long-term support release and those since then. Uh, OpenVPN was updated as well. Two different CVEs were rolled into this. And again, this goes back to the 1804 long-term support release. Uh, the older versions of OpenVPN were not affected by these vulnerabilities. So the first of these was a race condition that could happen uh, in the handling of data packets. And that could allow an attacker to inject a packet uh, using the victim's peer ID before uh, they had gone and properly set up the crypto channel and that had been properly initialized. So this could then cause the victim's connection to be dropped. So that's a denial of service that could be uh, mounted against Uh, your victim Uh, but it didn't appear to expose any sensitive information uh, which is a good thing obviously Uh, and as well the other vulnerability was that attackers could possibly bypass the authentication controls on the uh, control channel and then use that to potentially leak further info Uh, so not a high priority vulnerability that one in itself but yeah that has been fixed for OpenVPN as well Uh, After this, the big update for the week, uh, generated a bunch of news in various places, was an update for Exim. 21 CVEs were rolled into this. And again, this goes back to the 1804 long-term support release and uh, the releases since those as well. Uh, This research was done by Qualys. Uh, They dubbed it 21 nails, uh, essentially, because there are 21 different vulnerabilities there. Uh, And various vulnerabilities they found here, uh, and essentially some of them being things like remote code execution, others being uh, local privilege escalation. And so you can then imagine, you know, chain a couple of these together and you can get uh, fully remote, unauthenticated remote code execution and privilege escalation to root as a result. So uh, they've put out a blog post that has a kind of high-level summary of this plus a really detailed write-up uh, in old text file fashion. And I've got links to both of those in the show notes if you want to go on and read up more details on uh, the vulnerabilities here that were fixed for Exim. Um, in this case, uh, you know, it's kind of important to look at because Exim is probably the most popular mail server uh, on on at least one of the different surveys that we can find on the internet at the moment. Uh, Apparently 60% of internet mail servers are running Exim and there are at least 4 million of those that are publicly accessible and can be found via Shodan and other things. Um, And it has previously been a target of uh, different state actors like Sandworm from Russia and the like. Uh, So yeah, uh, XM is one that, uh, you know, we keep seeing vulnerabilities in every year or so. And actually Qualys do seem to be doing most of the research in this. So thanks to Qualys for finding and, uh, you know, proposing patches and fixing these and working with the upstream uh, XM developers to get all this fixed. Because it is clearly a critical piece of infrastructure that is uh, powering a fair bit of the internet's uh, mail transport. Uh, so uh, the other thing I should mention about this too though is that we are also in the process of preparing the updates for both 16.04 and 14.04 extended security maintenance releases 
Uh, these take a little bit longer because we have to backport uh, to older versions of Exim here, uh, but that is in process. Uh, both of those are currently uh, finished being prepared and being tested at the moment, and they will likely be released within the next 24 hours, I expect. So probably by the time you are listening to this and hearing me talking about it, those updates have already gone out, and I'm sure I'll have a mention of those in next week's podcast as well. And the last update to talk about this week was for the NVIDIA graphics drivers, uh, two different vulnerabilities, again, uh, going back to 1804 long-term support. Uh, not much detail has been released from NVIDIA about these. You know, these are closed, they're closed-source binary drivers, so there's not a huge surprise there. But uh, the first of these was uh, some improper access control that was implemented within the kernel driver uh, that could lead to a possible denial of service or information leak or data corruption. And so you can imagine if you can corrupt data in the kernel, you can likely get uh, privilege escalation as a result. Uh, the other one was apparently incorrect use of reference counting that they said could lead to uh, denial of service. So you can imagine that's probably a crash. But uh, you know, often with uh, incorrect use of reference counting, there can be things like use after freeze as well, and that can result in memory corruption. So again, I wonder, could that one actually lead to privilege escalation as well? Uh, nonetheless, so they have all been fixed as well. Okay, so that's it for this week in security updates. So as I mentioned at the start, the other thing that I kind of wanted to revisit in this week's episode was uh, something I discussed in last week's episode, which was this uh, incident from the University of Minnesota where they had uh, ostensibly inserted some backdoors or inserted some vulnerabilities, should I say, into the Linux kernel uh, as part of a research project to demonstrate just how easy it is to insert vulnerabilities into open source projects and in particular the Linux kernel and potentially how uh, wanting the kernel is for good patch review and the like. Uh, so there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, kerfuffle about this. Uh, the technical advisory board to the kernel has put out a report about this. Uh, it's really detailed. Uh, this was posted by Case Cook, who was previously the inaugural uh, tech lead of the Ubuntu security team and used to work here at Canonical. Uh, but this doesn't just include Case. Uh, there are a lot of other folks on the technical advisory board, including people from uh, Red Hat and Google and Canonical and the like. Um, and what they've done is they've done a really detailed breakdown of the timeline of events that happened here. They've also detailed all of the various patches that were committed by um, the University of Minnesota and essentially whether they you know, have rated these as actually malicious or not. And then um, you know, as the result of those that they found that were likely malicious, you know, what actually happened as a result? Were they rejected? Did they get accepted? That kind of thing. So the really detailed write-up, I urge you, if you want to know more about that, to go and check it out. I've got a link in the show notes. Uh, The other thing that they do, though, is um, detail some kind of next steps. And in particular, they talk about how uh, the University of Minnesota must improve their own processes so that they are submitting more higher quality patches because uh, not only did they submit these few potential vulnerability commits, they submitted a bunch of other patches that were just plain wrong or had other issues with them and so they've either got um, kernel developers there who are inexperienced and who I guess need a bit more review and need a bit of a helping hand from more senior developers as to you know how to write better commits and how to you know do that do that work better um, or you know there was talk at one point that they were using some new static analysis tool to automatically generate patches and so yeah either that needs work as well so they clearly have some work to do on their side um, Plus, the Technical Advisory Board are going to uh, create a best practices document about how different research groups can engage with the kernel community. And that will probably be applicable to not just the Linux kernel, but other open source projects as well. So if you are uh, a university or similar and you are wanting to do uh, research with or on uh, these sorts of open source projects and their communities, that will be something to look out for in the future. So you can try to avoid some of the pitfalls that the University of Minnesota researchers ran into in this process. 
Okay, uh, so the last thing I wanted to cover quickly is that we are still hiring for the security team. We have an open position for an AppArmor security engineer as well as for a position on our certifications team, uh, a Linux cryptography and security engineer, and finally a generalist as well. So I've got links to all of those in the show notes. If you want to come and help make Ubuntu more secure and work on these sorts of things, I urge you to check them out. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at securityubuntu.com. We also hang out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. Uh, there is a security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you're part of that community and you want to create a topic there. We will uh, be happy to engage with you on that as well. Or well, finally, we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I will be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.